0: We the bestest, cast with the left twist, Pat fairly well-dressed, put me on the guest list, the guest list, uh, yeah, on the guest list, yeah. Uh. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to On The Guest List podcast. We are back again for our second ever classic album review. This is the one that I've been waiting for. We've been teasing this on the podcast for weeks. Me and Robbie have been trying to find a time to do this. But we're back with Mr. Robbie Fox in the building. We are doing the classic album review of What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis. Robbie, you can't see this, but Robbie is holding up the vinyl right now. Robbie Fox, how the fuck are you, buddy?
1: Oh man, I could not be better now that we're finally in the in the I almost said in the basement cuz that's kind of <laughs> like what I say in my podcast, but I'm basically in the basement yeah. doing the classic album breakdown of what's the story morning glory. One of my favorite albums of all time, a quintessential album just like Rumours, I think every music fan should own it, every music fan should have this in their collection and yeah, I can't wait to talk about this album.
0: I mean, uh, me and Robbie have long been connected on this album. And on, on Oasis and to me it's 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 perfect. And me and Robbie were talking off air, but I was saying that, like, I went back and just refreshed this record for myself today. I was driving home and I I just threw it on top to bottom. And it's startling how fucking amazing it sounds in 2021. And Robbie texted me and said, it still is good 25 years later. It's, It's just an unbelievable quintessential album. Robbie, you said it best. And I know that this is a very important album to you. Like, when did you discover this record?
1: so actually like probably later than people assume for me like i haven't been a massive oasis fan my entire life i've liked oasis songs my entire life particularly like the hits i would say and then i knew a few here and there Uh, i knew like do you know what do you know what i mean off the next album which Mm. is it was the lead single off the next album but not one of their hits that like fans look back on i got into this in high school i think it was freshman year of high school I was like, let me dig into this a little bit further. Everyone talks about Oasis. I saw this album come up on a bunch of lists. And it was like, kind of like the dumb American, but like, oh, the Oasis, like the Wonderwall band, has like a full album of cool rock and roll songs. All right, I'll check this out. And the second I listened to it, I fell in love with it. And it has not fallen out of my rotation since like you said, you listened to this on the way home. So did I, but not even because like, Oh, we're doing this podcast to better refresh my memory. Just because this is what I listen to every day.
0: It's, it's, it's to me like, and it's so funny. It's their second record. And it's the one everybody remembers because they were, we're going to get into the history too, by the way, they were coming off of, Definitely, maybe, which is a quintessential album as well. It's one of the greatest debuts of all time. It's yep. it's fucking ignorant rock and roll bullshit, and I love it. Yeah,
1: but in your face, kick the door down, like Oasis is here. Yeah.
0: Oh my god, they, they are the the. It's amazing to me because they are very much two Gibson guitars cranked up to fucking 11 on a treble setting and it's in your face, but there's still this touch of sweetness and nostalgia in everything that they do. They always layer acoustic guitars, but just they grew up on this record. The melodies were different. The melodies were better. They were more thought out. Like I think of the first record and I think it's cigarettes and alcohol. And I think yeah. of like rock and roll star, which are amazing songs, but it's more bar band kind of like I'm in Manchester and I'm just going to go fuck somebody up. Let's make some fucking a little rock. more punk. Right, exactly. And then what's the story? Morning Glory comes out. And of course, you can point to Wonderwall and be like, oh, they got ballady." But what they did was they were like, okay, we're making our way and we have some really great songs, but can we make ourselves the biggest band in the world? And they did. And they did it it's fucking incredible. And the and you know what's what's crazy is they right. knew they were doing it
1: when yep. they did it. Like Absolutely. you watch the interviews and they're so arrogant and they're so cocky and they're talking like they're Conor McGregor about yep. other bands, you know, like fuck them, fuck blur, fuck them. Yep. And it's like, they were also saying in those interviews, 25 years from now, they won't be listening to any of that. They'll be listening to this album. And then they were right. It Call all came shot. true. It's, it's crazy.
0: Amazing. There, there's a really great quote from their record label owner who said, this is an album that was made for common lads. And we're gonna do it better than Radiohead could ever fucking do it. Which is exactly what we were saying that it's like there's this air of arrogance in this, like, I know who the fuck we are. And I mean, Robbie, we've covered this on different podcasts for me, and you have been just like talking about Oasis and saying, like, these weren't rock stars in a common sense where you think about fucking shiny pants and or maybe the classic Robbie Fox look for pop punk pop punk, where he's got fucking straight pants and no shirt on. These are dudes who wore exactly what they would wear to the fucking pub on stage. They look like they walked out of a fucking bunch of hooligans in a bar and walked on stage in front of 250,000 people in Nebworth and they just were who they were. And they had this amazing combination of Noel's gift for melody and creating songs and structuring songs, and the most badass lead singer of all time. Like yeah. I don't know what it is. Like maybe just like retrospect, looking back on Liam Gallagher as being like, I guess growing up, I almost kind of always took Noel's side as a songwriter, being like, well, Noel did all the heavy lifting on the songwriting side, but Liam was the balls. He was you the, needed both. You needed, needed both. both. Absolutely. Yeah. They've never found true Oasis-level success on their own. I love the High Flying Birds. Oh, yeah. I love the Liam Gallagher albums. But when you mix them together, it's volatile.
1: It's, there's something special there about the chemistry. There's something special, and you could still hear it listening to this album. It's crazy. I have chills talking about the album, and I'll have it the entire podcast.
0: I mean, there's so much to get into about this, and it's just like how we had with Rumors. We try and pick albums that there is a story there. There's oh, strength. Yeah. There's struggle. And and there's growth, and, and there's, there's ups and downs, and this album is that. But the funny part is, we'll get into it, the recording process wasn't that. When we were talking about the process of recording Rumors, it was cocaine and fucking infidelity and all this. We'll get into where I'm going with this, and I don't want to get far ahead. But before we move into the actual making of the album, let's go into some facts and background on the record. What's the Story Morning Glory was released on October 2nd, 1995, off of Creation Records. It was recorded at Rockfield Studios in Wales and the album was produced by Owen Morris and Noel Gallagher, who did the heavy lifting on all of the songwriting. So you have that right there because the one thing we're going to get into is the ego clash between the brothers, right? Yes. Noel already has this, this little brother syndrome of being in Liam's shadow, but he also has the fact that he wrote most of it and he helped produce it. So he has this stake there that this is boiling underneath the surface, but we'll get there. There's four hits on this record, first off, they're all hits, but there's four charting major hits on this record. Only one of them went number one. Do you know which one it was? Is this Champagne Supernova? It was not Champagne Supernova.
1: I assume when you ask that question, it's probably not Wonderwall. It's so not is it Wonderwall. Don't Look Back in Anger.
0: It was Don't Look Back in Anger, was the only song on this record to go number one. Wonderwall wow. and Champagne Supernova both went number two. That's crazy. Un-fucking-believable. Do you know what the first single was released off this album?
1: I do. Some might say it was released yes, it was. months before the album came out, and it's the only song in this album to feature Tony, uh, Tony McCarroll, the former drummer.
0: Yes, 100%. And the thing is, though, on an audiophile nerd status, I hear a differential in the recordings, because that must have yeah. been a song that was a leftover from Definitely Maybe that they already had in the cut. So while they're finishing other things on the record, it sounds like it was mastered slightly differently. And I will get to think
1: the- I think the master is not from um Rockfeld Studios Mm, I'm pretty sure it's from the months prior well
0: what's funny is before we get into numbers I guess I can go into this but there was a conversation about the mastering process on this record if you listen to the record it has a very 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 distinct sound like it's called the brick wall sound is what they labeled it as which is funny because Robbie's sitting in front of a brick wall wall behind me so (laughs) in quotes from different people who mastered and mixed the record They said they were going for this brick wall sound, which is a thing in mastering, which is very specific to the CD era. And what it is, is everything's cranked to fucking 11 and compressed to hell. And Robbie, me and you have talked about this about another record that we both love American idiot by green day. That was the last record that, and uh, in your honor by the Foo fighters that were compressed to CD levels to hell. They sound quieter, but really in your face and ignorantly loud up front. And that this they said this is where the CD era started to jump the shark on mastering levels, and I, I think that's an amazing quote. But when you do listen to the record, it is abrasive. It's right in your oh, yeah. face. It's right up front. And songs, especially like uh, wh- like Morning Glory, are very yes. compressed. And for people who aren't like audiophiles, compressed. Think about like when you listen to something modern, it's very expansive in your ears. It's very circular. The sound kind of surrounds you. This is a very linear, in-your-face mastering process to where. It fits the band very well. It's fucking directly at you. So, I think that's a really interesting way to start this conversation on a, like on an audiophile note to like this was mastered at the height of the CD era and it was very fucking down your throat the way that they that they produced this. So, uh, I actually just
1: went to a CD store and I bought the CD like did in you? 2020 2021. Because I was like, I need to go listen to this on CD format. That's what it was really made for at the time. That's what they were mastering it for. It's like when people hear, you know, I have the vinyl right here, but this isn't the best sounding version of this album. It's the compressed disc. And that's the the compact disc. And that's what I got. So I I went and bought it. It was $3 in New York City. I popped it it in my car and I said, let's see what this sounds like. And it sounded fucking amazing.
0: And that's the thing, like, when you listen to these things in their proper settings or how they're, they were meant to be listened to, you can listen to remasters all you want, but it's not the same as what people were getting when this thing was selling the copies that it was selling. And to me, like when you watch a band like Oasis and the way that their personalities were, and th- it's so weird how they connected all the dots and they were like, this is an abrasive in your fucking face band. But I will say though, this record also has a sweetness to it. And once again, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. because We'll get into that in the recording process. It was on purpose. But uh, just to like, round out the facts and figures, week one, this record sold 345,000 copies in, in one week in the UK, spent 10 weeks at number one in the UK, and has officially gone 16 times platinum in the United Kingdom. That's that such is
1: crazy
0: ignorant number just in the UK, just in the UK. They're a massive
1: worldwide band too.
0: hundred percent. So they've sold 22 million copies of this album worldwide, four times platinum in the United States, which is just crazy to think. I thought it would have been higher because of wonder wall success. Don't look back in anger success. Yeah. Champagne supernova is on alternative radio every 10 minutes. So I figured that, <laughs> but still we're, we're, we're griping out 4 million fucking records, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, It is the highest-selling British album of the 1990s, which also does not surprise me. Um, And the one, to to wrap this out, I found this funny. The critical reviews for this, have you ever, like, looked into this, like, how they labeled it? The critics did not think this was a step forward from Definitely Maybe.
1: You know what's so funny is this album and Be Here Now, the one that would follow this, are when you look back at what the critics said, it's like they should swap the reviews because they weren't so high on this. It like took them a little bit to come around to it when the people told them, like, no, this is this is like our anthem, basically. Yes. All of this, all the songs on this album, this this is, you know, us speaking to, you know, Oasis, Oasis speaking to us. And then Be Here Now, which people look back on now and say is overrated. That's 100%. the height of Noel Gallagher's um. Let's add a hundred guitar tracks to every song. Yep. Let's compress the shit out of it. All of that, and the reviews for that when it came out were like, "This is Oasis is coming out party. It's the greatest album ever." And then two weeks later, everyone said, eh, we might have got caught up in the hype."
0: Yeah, I, I once again, I don't think like I love some of the like "Lila" is a beautiful song. They have a lot of really mm-hmm. great songs later on down the line, but like this was a for real just moment in time that took this band. From a pub band that had great songs and did have, did have hits in the UK. Like Supersonic was on the first record, Rock and Roll Star, yeah. Slide Away. Whatever like was big. There's great songs on the first record, but this took these fucking, you know, four, five at times idiots from fucking England and turned them into the biggest fucking act in the world. And they took went them from, to Nebworth. We've talked about that Nedworth. show a lot on
1: this show. Like, yeah.
0: Hundreds of thousands of people per night and it's to me like this is a really formative record for me. Like I learned so much from this record as a songwriter growing up and as a guitar player, cause Noel tend to play these like open jangly chords that I didn't know existed where you could take an a and lift a finger off. And all of a sudden it sounds more like an orchestra than it does in a rock song. And it, it's, there's so much about this record that i respect and i love but what i've really come to respect and love over the years is liam's fucking bravado and the way that he commands (laughs) that band and his melody choices vocally like no one wrote these songs but uh, like uh, me and you were going to get real real gushy on this (laughs) one bro i know for a fucking fact but so we've gone through the background before we get into a song by song breakdown let's get into the recording process of this album
1: there's a lot there
0: there's a lot there (laughs) so i'm excited to have robbie here for this specifically because i think robbie might have more background but i have the fucking nuts and bolts of this and we need to talk about like not only the recording process and what they were going for but kind of the the, the tenor of what was going on in england at this time because this was the battle for brit pop as they called it back in the day Big time. And it, it was this thing where you had these two really hot young bands coming out of england which is funny because i don't consider either of them pop bands
1: the guy like I, they, yeah, like Britpop was the era that classified them all, but when you look back, it's like, these were two rock and roll bands.
0: Yeah, two fucking kick-ass rock and roll bands. We're talking about Oasis, and we're talking about Damon Albarn and Blur, which, of course, I, Damon Albarn's going on to be way bigger in his other band, Gorillaz. Yeah. But this was Oasis trying to come out and say, you know, fuck these other lads. Let's, 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 let's establish ourselves. But the problem here was that they weren't just fighting Blur. They were fighting themselves. And, Robbie, you can give more <laughs> background on this. Quite was literally. The, was the infighting going on at this point, like, as heavily as it was after the success of What's the Story Morning Glory between Noel and Liam?
1: Not as much, but I would say it was always there. Um, right. It was there since the beginning. I mean, when they first went to America, it's covered extensively in the Supersonic documentary, and they thought they were doing lines of coke off their amps on stage, and they were doing lines of meth. I think that was a big moment where Noel wasn't doing any of that shit. You know, he's kind of watching the whole band do it. Like, what the fuck? And Liam wound up throwing his tambourine at Noel that night. So there was definitely strife early on. I think the earliest strife between the two comes from Liam coming home, piss off his ass, like just mm-hmm. totally drunk. And he peed on Noel's new boombox. <laughs> they were like 15. And Noel from that moment on was like, yeah, fuck Liam. My younger brother's a cunt. No, I'm using that in the British way, everybody. Not the yeah, American way. Not in the British White Sox thing. Dave it's way. Very it's lighthearted. Way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> we, had, we had Ted Stryker on the podcast the other day, and he's a newly retired radio guy who's doing a podcast now, and Dave tried to get him to say the C word numerous times. And Ted was like, no. And Dave was like, I love that word so much. But I digress. We're getting I love off Dave. Track. What
1: a caveman. What
0: a fucking caveman. I love him to death. He's the best. But so in the process of recording this record, you're dealing with these two brothers with opposite ends of the, the, the spectrum personalities. Noel is reserved and quiet. He just wants to write songs and be that guy. But he also does have, I always found that funny that they made it sound like Noel didn't want to be, Noel had an air of wanting to be out front.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely in this one, like he had a bit of a, to use a Star Wars term, a pull to the dark side. Yes. There was always, like, he would say, no, he rock and rolls about the music. It's not about the partying. It's not about the getting thrown off cruises. And there was always a little part of him that felt like he's like, but maybe it is.
0: It is. That's what I'm (laughs) saying. And, like, Liam is the embodiment of the rock and roll spirit and the fact that I don't think Liam really ever takes it that seriously. He comes on stage with a sig hanging out of his mouth, his tambourine, and he stands in front of people with his fucking arms spread like Jesus. And he just commands the crowd. But Noel's a craftsman. Noel was, you know, getting the sound. He was the guy kind of behind the board, but also in front of the board in the notebook. And, but I do find it funny, like, looking back at what we were just talking about. The number one, the only number one hit on the album, who sings it? No, no. And I it's found that. crazy. And also, I just will say, too, one thing we will get to at the end, this has some of the best B-sides of all time. This album has fucking songs that are number one hit. Talk oasis tonight. in
1: general yeah
0: great sides. talk tonight is one of my fucking favorite acoustic songs of all time Agreed. another Noel song but you're watching a band kind of pull itself apart but also in the process of recording the album from quotes from the people in the room the sessions were not bombastic they weren't volatile
1: and, they had and- one one public yes, fight which in yes. the studio but other than that it seems like it was kind of a smooth ride
0: Right, and so Owen Morris, who's the, the main producer on the record besides Noel, was quoted as saying, The sessions were the best, easiest, less fraught, most happily creative time I've ever had in a recording studio. I believe people can feel and hear it in the music uh, when it's dishonest and motivated by the wrong reasons. Morning Glory, for all its imperfections and flaws, is dripping with love and happiness, which is such a funny thing to fucking hear coming from the, the, the personalities that we knew were in the room. But what I found, what Owen Morris said was amazing. This album was recorded in 15 fucking days. Yeah. Do you, do you know as a musician how asinine that is to pull 14 songs out? They did basically a song a day is what, the, what, what it was because they recorded more songs. But we're talking about songs that made the end of the record. And we're counting a break
1: in the studio because for about a week after Noel and Liam got into a fight and a cricket bat got broken over one of their heads, they just took a break from the studio while they had it booked. So that was like that counts as part of the time they were there and they weren't using the studio. And Noel did not go into this with uh songs written. He went in every day being like, let me write a song.
0: Fuck that. I, as a songwriter, (laughs) I find that offensive. That is fucking bullshit because I've been in situations where we're held up in a studio. One of our first big sessions we did was in Nashville. This is like 2015, 2016. And we went down there for two weeks, blocked out for two weeks we did 12 songs but the fucking process we did a whole two weeks of pre-production like the process was arduous and it was fucking miserable by the end of it everybody wanted to kill each other the thought that they pulled this out and they could say it was a beautiful happy experience all that shit could you imagine going in with those songs and coming out with wonderwall champagne supernova don't look back in anger hey now all these fucking songs that are instant classics
1: crazy and and it there's it there's something to it you've said on the podcast before like songs come from somewhere yeah they just come from somewhere and they hit you something was in the air in that studio something was hitting Noel just right when you look at the b-sides and shit yeah when you look at the b-sides like all of the songs he was writing at this time are amazing all of them and that's why they have so many amazing b-sides he couldn't write a song that sounded like a b-side they all sound like a sides
0: acquiesce is a b-side acquiesce might be my favorite song on the fucking record one of the
1: best songs that oasis ever released easily it it became their opener for a while and it's like what do they're opening songs in stadiums football stadiums with with a B b-sides
0: yeah it's it's asinine but (laughs) the master plan
1: that's one of the B-side, best songs
0: Noel's it's ever written. Crazy, and I like how we're gushing about B sides. We haven't even gotten to the actual songs and made yeah. the record. But <laughs> once again, the like going back, we were talking about this earlier. But the goal of the record was to take the blueprint that they made indefinitely, maybe, but to make it bigger and fill stadiums. And but find ballads, find big ballads, which they did on this fucking record. And 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 to, to think about, they consciously went in with a game plan, but no product made. It's yeah. just un I think Noel said he
1: had, like, a verse here, a chorus there, but I don't think he even had, like, a single full song he went into the studio being like, oh, yeah, we'll do this one, we'll knock that out, and then we'll get into the album.
0: When, when, when I'm saying, like, when I go in to do something, like, I have to have, like, whiteboard. I need a chalkboard or something. <laughs> yeah. And every song, I know exactly how many pieces are in there. We check them off as we go. Like, it's very regimented just because... When you're paying for studio time, you have to fucking knock it out. These guys obviously were on a, like, uh, like in a situation where they just had a compound, like, you know, fucking. This is where they recorded
1: or- Bohemian Rhapsody, literally.
0: I did not know that. Yeah. No shit.
1: Yeah, that's why they wanted to go there. They were like, second album, we got a big budget. Why don't we go record where Queen did their shit?
0: I love hearing stories about like Zeppelin Four when they did that, and like they went to that the fucking castle and they recorded when the levee breaks in the exact in the tall. Stairwell. I love that
1: as well. That's like my favorite. The, my favorite like studio stories is when they're like, "Let's go somewhere weird." Like uh, one by one by Foo Fighters. Yes, Dave recording that in his basement.
0: Dude, that's so cool. Or even like I love. I remember like uh, behind the music when I was a kid, they were talking about Aerosmith, Toys in the Attic, and they said like they went to this giant mansion and like. In one room, it would be Joe Perry writing this amazing riff. In the other room was Steven Tyler high up his ass for three days on cocaine with a revolver in his mouth. That's rock <laughs> yeah. and roll. So yeah. I think about this whole process of like this band going to create this anthem, anthemic album and then they did it. And and, and like, I, I can't wait to talk about song by song, everything that went, it like came out of this fucking record. But before we do that, Robbie, I have a question. Do you know what the album title pertains to?
1: It was something that I think. Uh, a female friend of Knowles had yes. said to him it was just kind of a thing she would like call him up on the phone she'd be like what's the story morning glory yes it was robbie you know
0: your goddamn <laughs> shit, goddamn <laughs> it was a, a woman named melissa Lim. she was Noel's friend and she would answer his calls with the phrase what's the story morning glory but it's actually a quote from a movie it's a quote from bye bye birdie the, it was oh, like a musical wow. movie i didn't know i didn't know that and Melissa Lim just like coined it as her own and that became the name of this record. Because I always love the name of the record. I love a catchy record name.
1: Such a great album name. And bye-bye birdie is isn't that an Elvis thing? So it kind of like goes all the way back to rock and roll, like early rock and roll there.
0: It's fucking insane. And and there's so much to talk about on this record. We're going to go song by song, but before we do, we always do this. We should go through the players who was in the room at the time. So, of course, you have the brothers. You have Liam Gallagher on vocals. You have Noel Gallagher doing the songwriting and playing guitar. You also had Bonehead Arthurs playing rhythm guitar, piano, and Mellotron. I don't know where the Mellotron was on the record, but I'll have to go back and dive into that. You had Paul Giggsie McGuigan uh, on bass on all tracks except for Cast No Shatter, Shadow, Wonderwall, and She's Electric. I don't know who played bass on those tracks.
1: I do. I can fill you in there. This was during the week that Noel and Liam had gotten into the fight, and the whole band was like, fuck you guys. Like, we're not coming into the studio. You guys are crazy. You broke a cricket bat over. So, Noel wound up playing bass on those songs. And you can really hear it if you go on YouTube, if you listen to like the Wonderwall isolated bass track it is straight up like a guitar player playing bass. Like he's strumming it like a guitar and all that. Like it's very interesting to listen to.
0: Robbie, that's such a good point that guitar players playing bass. One, they usually play with a pick and two, if they don't, they, their fingers walk differently. Their cadence is different. There is something completely different All of different those songs are
1: played it. with a pick and you could hear
0: it. Jesus Christ. And it's funny, too, because the I love the bass line on She's Electric. I love yeah. that fucking bass line. But it, if you had to like put a gun to my head and say, who did those bass lines if Giggsy didn't do it? I would have guessed Noel because I feel like he's mm. got that in him. But uh, you also had Alan White on drums and percussion, except for Some Might Say. Robbie, who was the drummer on Some Might Say?
1: That was tony mccarroll their drummer on definitely maybe who was kicked out of the band when they were prepping to record this album because noel knew the sound he wanted for this was a bit bigger a bit more fills and he thought tony couldn't really do that tony had a lot of issues in the studio of definitely maybe um, with keeping time and stuff like that
0: bro that's a real fucking it, i feel terrible for drummers when they go in and you could be a good drummer you could be someone with great feel and all this stuff but in a studio setting it's why Different. it's why studio drummers exist because you need to be a human metronome and it, yep. co- it costs you money it costs you time to have a drummer who isn't hitting the mark because especially back then if you're recording the tape or even early digital you don't have the ability to correct it like that. It needs to be dead nuts on time. So it's fucking crazy. He missed the boat on this, but at least he got some, some residuals off. Some might say, but
1: he did. And he wound up suing the band and he got a lot of residuals off that. So there you go. Shout there out Tony. And he also is recovering. He recently had a heart attack this year, but wow. he's reportedly as of this month doing pretty well. So shout out Tony McCarroll.
0: Shouts out Tony McCarroll, man. Good guy. Um, but dude, no, I, I just cannot wait to get into the actual breakdown of these songs. I'm I, I've learned a lot already here. We've had a lot of good combo, but it's time to dive in, track by track, to what's the story morning glory by Oasis. So we open with hello. And to me, it always kind of pissed me off that this was the opening track. I know it says really? I know it says hello, but roll with it always felt like the opener to me. It always did.
1: sort of does feel like an intro to the album that you're about to listen to more than it's like here's the first single. I, I feel what you're saying there.
0: But just like with Rumors, though, we brought up how the, the secondhand news is the first song on that record, and it's a table setter, right? Like, Hello to Me isn't one of the classics off the record, but it is a table setter. It brings you the sound of the new mastering technique they were using, the newer kind of, like, different chord structures that Noel was playing with. But to me, the really interesting part about this song is who one of the co-writers is.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, they got sued for this one.
0: Yes. Do you know who it is?
1: I believe Gary Glitter sued them.
0: It's that pervert Gary Glitter who yeah. got this. He got the lawsuit, and I don't know what was the lawsuit for necessarily because Gary Glitter's biggest song is uh, yeah, uh, "Hey," yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, it doesn't turns sound out like this. No, not at all. But he also it turns out was a pervert. I was not joking about that. Yeah. He went to jail. Fuck that guy. But and I, it's I, weird
1: I, that they used that song in Joker, knowing that. I was thinking about that. Like they use the song in Joker now while it's playing in the theater. It kind of took me out of the movie because I was like. Are they giving residuals to
0: that pervert? For this? I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, but I guess, like, you know, would anybody blame me if you didn't? Like, maybe it's the thing that we're like, he's not going to come get us. What he's in jail. And, and I also guess
1: that maybe it works for the Joker. He's like a sick and twisted mind. He listens to pervert music.
0: Exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. But to me, like, when I listen to Hello, when I was listening today while I was driving, but just the 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 scale of what comes into your headphones as an intro track kind of to me is that it, you're right it is a table setter it, it really is that thing where it's like holy fuck what are we getting into here and, and liam sounds great i just wanted. to oh he sounds it.
1: so good and so rock and roll on this by the time they get to the it's good to be back yes bridge like that is the perfect line i get chills thinking about imagine a diehard oasis fan that loved, definitely maybe waiting for this album to come out and the first time they pop it in their cd player they hear the brothers saying it's good to be back in unison like that had to be a moment that right off the bat saying wipe the shit from your shoes like they're cursing in this one so they're a little more punk all of this song is and liam's been using it as his current opener really since since covid So he's come on stage to this and hit the good-to-be backs to the crowd, you know, post-COVID. Like, that is – that's a rock and roll song right there. That's a moment. And look, and the beginning of it, by the way, you hear a little bit of Wonderwall.
0: Yes, I was just going to bring that up, which is so funny that, like, that's the first thing you hear because Wonderwall really is the outlier on the record. Like, there is, like – it is kind of like the Oasis sound if you're, like, not in the know, really. Like, you think Wonderwall, but, like, I love – how it is, even on Acquiesce, we said, like, there's this snippet of Morning, Morning Glory. Morning Glory, yeah. And they do that, and they bring it in, and it's kind of like... It's atmospheric. In- it's yes. like, a, a, you, you, the,
1: you get the sense of, like, the album is all one complete work that goes together. And he put it there because it was actually kind of like a, a I don't know, a punk to listeners. They wanted everyone to really crank up their CD players oh. because they couldn't hear it and then get hit in the face with Hello.
0: I mean that that that's fucking genius. I love the fact that they're toying with people. Like they're they're yeah. literally fucking toying with people. They're like but- we're
1: going to play a really faint moment of the biggest hit on the album yep. and then everyone's going to go, "Oh, wait, we got to turn this up." And uh then boom, hello.
0: I mean realistically, and it, it is a table setter, it's an important song and you've kind of talked me into like feeling like it should have been the intro, but what we're about to dive into is maybe one of the best like seven song runs in the history of albums ever. Yeah, <laughs> And it starts with roll with it. Now, to me, like we, I just kind of like uh, express this. This is the opener to me. Like when yeah. they hit those seventh chords in the beginning, it's so there's dissonance to it. Cause it's like, these are kind of bluesy chords that kind of sound a little bit off, but then it, th- the drums start to build behind. And that Phil is
1: signature Alan White. So good.
0: And it just, like it goes from the seventh chords, the bluesy seventh chords to this and that is so null like the one thing that like this song does for me and it's the biggest oasis thing is these these walks up and down the neck just the ups and downs and to me like that is where they took this sonic step on the second album that there's so many chord changes in this song that don't make sense to me that i wouldn't have done it as a songwriter and been like we could step down here and come back up and it, it just I fucking love this song so much.
1: So a couple fun facts about this song. This is the one and only song on the album that they recorded in a room playing at the same time together. This is recorded live and everything else is done piece by piece as a band would normally do it. But this one, for whatever reason, Noel felt like it would have a more rock and roll, more lively sound. You can kind of, and when knowing that, when you listen to it, I swear you could kind of hear it in that, like, it's a little bit more, uneven it's a little bit more clean but in the best way it's the, yeah. the kind of punk vibe that you want especially transitioning from definitely maybe into this new era and this was the song that was the battle of brit pop it was this versus country house by blur yeah. that went up at the same exact day same charts and this actually lost out to Blur. No People shit. say that Blur won the battle, but Oasis wound up winning the war when they played Nebworth and all that. But Man. since it lost, Noel's actually kind of like slagged off this song. He's been like, I think it's because he's like, any other song on the record probably would have beaten Country House, which mm. if you haven't heard, if you're listening to this podcast, you haven't heard Country House by Blur, it might be the most British song ever released. It's Easy. hilariously British.
0: Bro, that's so it's worth a to listen. About this record, this record is so fucking British. Yeah. Like, it's in the bones of the record. Like, you know, you wouldn't even need to hear Liam's voice and you know it's a fucking British record. But the thing about this song that interests me, right, because when people bring up Oasis, what's their dig all the time on Oasis? If you're not an Oasis fan, the dig is, they just want to be Beatles, right? Yep. They're not just the Beatles. Like, there's so much Rolling Stones in this band as well. And Rolling we...
1: Stones, Stone Roses. Like so there's much. There's a lot of influences. Yeah, there's even some Zeppelin in some yes. of those riffs.
0: But the thing is, first off, the fact that you know Stone Roses, like we both know Stone Roses, to me <laughs> is like, I love you, bro. Like, I that's just really know
1: because of Oasis. That, right. They were the ones who like, made that bridge for me. But that first Stone Roses album is one we could do a breakdown on, too, because
0: it's flawless. 100%. But that they're a band that never transitioned to America at the capacity no. that Oasis did. But
1: I mean, they famously had like they made them headline Coachella and like when they did their comeback tour, and I think yeah. they got three thousand people. Jesus like, Christ. what are we taught? This is one of the most legendary bands, and people just didn't care.
0: Man, and, and the thing is with Roll with it too, like. What's established early on? It's one of the things that I love about Oasis are the harmonies between Liam and Noel because they have such different vocals. But yeah. I love the fact that in the beginning it's just Liam's vocal track with the You Gotta Row It, but by the by the second time it comes around, there's a harmony underneath it, and so there's this slight differential between the two. And I, I it's great song structure, it's great songwriting, but this to me is like, I don't, the smile on my face is like I can't control it right now. Like this song just reminds me of. Like good times and it reminds me of oh, yeah. the beginning of such a special piece of work and that's what i said like i don't discount hello but roll with me is where this this album starts to fucking start cooking with gas
1: this is like the i would say the happiest song in the album she's electric is up there too that's yes. just a blast like that's a, a fun song it's like but a
0: nostalgic like, kind of a feel as opposed you to you can't like listen to
1: this and not like you said have a smile on your face be in a good mood like if you're in a bad mood you put on roll with it you're not gonna be like sulking to this yeah, song you're no like, absolutely all right, not all right. Oh, he's and, just pretty sick.
0: And two, like, at the same time, like, we talk about how they bring in the anthemic stuff as well on this record, and they have more acoustic elements, but at the same time, like, you listen to the guitar ton- tones on Roll With It. Noel's playing either a Les Paul or the 335 that he loves so much. He's got it switched down to the fucking treble position, and this shit is ignorant. Like, if you were in a room yeah. with theirs, that's a fucking Gibson on a Marshall, and this shit is... Tingy and it's in your face, but then as soon as that fill comes in and the, the everything builds behind it, it cuts back slightly, which to me is like the the way that these songs are structured is fucking
1: and it, there's also so many like different like the moment in the song where it's kiss the girl, she's yeah. not be like that's such a different moment from the beginning of the song. Like these are songs yes. that actually go somewhere. They're not the let's repeat the same four chord signature for two yeah. minutes and get our Spotify streaming numbers. Like th- this is a
0: journey. Well, that's what I was saying as a songwriter. The reason why this these, this album, especially a wastes of Shit on this record, blows my mind is because I don't know that I would ever go and do these different sectionalized parts of your song to where you could have just, and for no better word, you could have just rolled with it and just done the, <laughs> you gotta roll with it, but then they drop into these like mid- verse bridges that come back up it's not a pre-chorus necessarily it's a longer part it's like a mid-verse bridge into the hook again it's fucking crazy who does this you need an abacus to figure this shit out (laughs) i don't know but roll with it is such a good early track but we gotta dive into it robbie track number three on the record the one the only wonderwall it's hard to like think about popular culture and think about the 90s per se and not think about wonderwall which yeah. is funny because it wasn't the number one hit it's crazy, it's crazy and
1: it's the number one streamed song of the nineties. I know that on Spotify and everything. This is number one it's got over a billion streams, maybe more maybe two billion by this point, but yeah
0: it, it has two billion shitty covers at house parties man <laughs> yep yep it, it's 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 once again, a song that like for me personally taught me a lot because when you 're young it 's one of the first songs you learn when you start playing with capos you 're like "Oh yep. second fret playing e minor you're playing you 're playing Wonderwall you know it right that was away one right of my here.
1: favorite on the guest list moments when Dave first got his capo in and he went we, we said, "Oh, you could play Wonderwall, you me and Kenny all on together and he said what what fret do I put on and all at the same time we were like two two
0: yeah and, and it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a it 's now a building block song for guitar players and yep. for For songwriters and for cover bands and for karaoke people, like, I don't, I just picture this as, like, they left the studio that day and they were like, yeah, we got one. It's like I said about Dreams on fucking, on, on, on Rumors. Like, you gotta leave the studio that day and, like, yeah, we really did something here, but it is the outlier on the record to me. Like, it was, it feels like to me, like, this song or Talk Tonight was gonna be on the record and one of the two wasn't. And that or cast no shadow also kind of falls yeah, into here. Yeah,
1: definitely a ballad, but
0: and it's because two, they're the only two. I feel like with like string arrangements to a certain degree. Like when that cello comes in after the first, like going into like the middle of the first verse of Wonderwall. I mean, dude, just as like a on a production side, like dude, I would have been in the room. Like that's that's it. That's fucking... <laughs> Robbie. Like, what do you have to add that hasn't already been added about Wonderwall?
1: Um, I mean. It's hard because, you know, everything's been said about it at this point, but it's one of those songs that every time I hear people slag it off or say it's overplayed in any way, it actually makes me angry because I'm like, oh no, but you don't understand. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Like it's, it deserves to be played as many times as it's played. A couple fun facts about it. This was presented to Liam with Don't Look Back in Anger by Noel. And Noel said, I want to sing one of these songs. So you pick which one you want to sing. What? And apparently it was up in the air for like a whole night. And Liam was like, ah, I don't really know. And he eventually wound up going with Wonderwall because it has, in the drums especially, could hear it sort of reggae influence. Yes, and Liam loves Bob Marley. Liam is like, Bob Marley is one of his top artists ever. Didn't so know that. yeah, he was sort of a fan of that. And Noel said, All right, I'll take Don't Look Back in Anger then. And Thank God he did, because both of these songs wouldn't be what they are without the individual brothers singing them. Um, another thing, Noel wanted to record this sitting on a wall. He thought, why wouldn't I record Wonderwall singing on a wall? So they went outside, and they had mics set up outside for him, and they like stapled a chair to a wall, like the music video. Like the music video Liam's yeah. like, sitting on the chair. They did that for him, and he started recording it, and he said it sounded like shit. It's horrible but you can hear the beginning recording on Hello. That is the take they wound up using, and that's why you could hear birds in the background.
0: Shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. What? Robbie, that's actually fucking mind-blowing to me. Crazy, right? I love the creative process in the studio. When you hear stories about, like, the weird shit people want to do, because, like, when you're in the studio, there is this part of you, and you've been in the studio before where you're like, I am... A creative genius. And <laughs> yeah, this, you're like, I'm gonna Yeah, this idea is going to revolutionize the songwriting world as we know it. And you a, know, no doing a line and be like, wonderwall on a we wall. We gotta sit on the wall. Why don't we do yeah, it on a wall? You gotta do it, on the wall. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense not doing on the wall. But to, like to me, when I when I like look back at this song and I, and I think about it, I there's very few songs with opening lines. That people know as well as Today is gonna be the day They were gonna throw back to Like that is like Just the vocal phrasing in itself Like not even the yeah. lyrics Because the lyrics don't really mean much You know what I mean? Which it's-
1: is a, a That's a kind of a staple of Oasis music too We'll talk about it when we talk about Champagne Supernova yes. I believe that's be One of the best songs ever written I don't know what the lyrics are about and It doesn't matter
0: There's certain I say this about Dave Grohl And I think me and you May have argued about this I think Dave Grohl Writes nonsensical lyrics half the time but they work, and the reason they work is because of the person delivering it, mm-hmm. and this, the the cadence. Like uh, one of the songs you're about to say, "Hey now, hey now." To me, it's 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 like the reason why it's special is because of the vocal phrasing and the melody ideas that Liam brings out. And I think for the same reason, like I don't know what it is about Wonderwall that makes it so special, but me neither. It, the, it, it's, the lyrics
1: are great you're gonna be the one that saves me obviously yeah. Wonderwall based on a old movie that George Harrison financed
0: did not know Wonderwall. that. Yep. did not know that i I always wondered and said that was an asinine hooked lyric It always sounded <laughs> to me like like as a, like when you're writing songs and you're like, okay, I have like the word after all, and then I go to uh rhyme Zone and I'm like rhymes with after all two syllables and it's like wonderwall it's like all right we don't you're know like, what you're it right,
1: I plug that into i think it's something, I think of better. something yeah. better i do that
0: all the fucking time yeah. so but i mean we don't we don't have to spend that much time on wonderwall it's an all-time classic everything's hundreds been, millions been said about years. it yeah. everything's been said about it. it's like we skip dreams basically when we are going through rumors we exactly. can skip wonderwall but to move on to the next one what else can we really say about the next <laughs> one don't look back in anger
1: Yeah, I mean, it's another one. The the one-two punch of Wonderwall, Don't Look Back in Anger is a slap in the face to anyone that's ever written a song because, holy shit, those are two of the best ever back-to-back.
0: It's like putting Heartbreaker and Live and Love and Made next to each other to me. (laughs) Except, realistically, people don't think about Live and Love and Made. They think about Heartbreaker because of Jimmy Page's guitar solo. These are two all-time singles! Yeah. All-time singles! Like, yeah. It doesn't make that any Still get sense. radio
1: play to this day. Like you can turn on whatever alternative radio station. You will hear both of these songs.
0: And you think right away about the piano at the opening. And to me, there's something very visual about the, the opening of this song. And it's so fervently British. It's fucking yeah. scary British. It sounds like you're in a pub with 30 lads after a fucking football game, and you're sitting around with pints, and it sounds like dudes are like arm in arm just swaying back and forth. And like <sighs> This song has always felt very special to me from that perspective. It's a communal song. It's a worldwide communal song. And no, like, I don't think this song is the same if Liam sings it. Yeah, it might not be.
1: And it's crazy because Liam obviously has that iconic voice of the 90s. And would I love to hear a version of it where he is singing it? Absolutely. Of course. That would be fascinating.
0: Prove me you wrong. It, I'd love to
1: be proved wrong. Did it did acapella once. I think it was at Glastonbury, one of the main festivals, Reading, it might have been after the Manchester bombing. This kind of became like an anthem for Manchester. That's and what was I was, yes, a, exactly. You know, everyone got together because I believe it was like, and it's a crazy video. You can find it on YouTube. It's kind of a moment of silence outside for all the, the victims and someone just starts singing it. And the whole crowd, like Elf, starts uh. singing it behind her. And it's this moment, it puts chills on your arms. You could start crying because it's like, holy shit. This song, 20 years later, whatever it was at that point, meant this much to people. It's crazy. And the, the beginning chords, you said, sound so British. I'll tell you why they sound so British. is because Noel said, I would love some piano at the beginning of this song. And Bonehead said, I don't really know how to play piano. So I'm just going to play the opening chords of Imagine. Yes, and that's what he did. exactly
0: what it is. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's a C chord, ladies and gentlemen. He has
1: admittedly he- said, I was just like, uh how about imagine <laughs> and I was like yep sounds perfect
0: ladies and gentlemen the c chord is the basis of everything on the piano it's where like a, a <laughs> guitar next starts on e pianos all the cycles on a piano start on a c note so most of the fucking piano songs it's the same chord. Pro- it, this is a classic cga minor f chord progression but there's a d minor in there somewhere right it is there there's a video on youtube of, of people uh saying that every pop song ever was written in this format right It's the same exact chords as No Woman, No Cry by Bob Marley. It's the same fucking chords as so many great pop songs. and Maybe that's why there's such a familiarity there. But I mean, it's the beginning of Let It Be. It's the beginning of Imagine. It's the beginning of so many... It's uh, Love and Cut by the Rolling Stones. Like, so many great British songs. And if that's what it gets, it's so classic. But it's still so 90s and it's so Oasis and it's fucking gorgeous.
1: And you'll always hear people that are Oasis detractors talk about Noel like jacking stuff, taking riffs from here, yep. taking riffs from there. I always look at that as almost a positive, especially yep. in the way that Noel talks about it. Cause he's never like, no, I didn't, I didn't take that. That's an original piece. He's always like, goddamn right. I took that. Yes. I got the ear to take that. There's That's- like a level of, it's almost like sampling. It's almost like, you know, a producer, we will say, oh my God, the ear that they have to take that song from the seventies and put it in this. Yep. Noel kind of has that ear.
0: Yes. All great songwriters do, and if they don't, Robbie, we've had this conversation before. If songwriters can't admit where they took their shit from, they're liars because yeah. there's nothing original. It all comes from somewhere else. There's nobody you can ever look at. Maybe like, I don't know, Prince or something. Because Prince, but Prince, yeah. Prince took from the so Minneapolis. Out there. Yeah. But Prince took from the Minneapolis sound. I was gonna say maybe like Trent Reznor because the Nine Inch Nails doesn't really yep. sound like anything. But at the same time, Depeche Mode kind of came before them and had that kind of like down industrial sound, like. Everybody comes from somewhere. And I love the fact that if you ask, no, like where did this come from? It's like, it's the open chords to imagine. You could pick any, so- yeah. you could pick any song that I've ever written and just say, where'd you get that from? I'd be like, Oh, I stole from this, 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 and this, that pre-chorus is that way because of this song. Great and I song love lyrics. that as a
1: music yeah. fan. It's like, it, it's like a little breakdown of like, here's yes. how I did it. And it's like, Oh fuck. That's how you construct a song. It, like you said, you learned a lot from this album. You can learn
0: a lot from just listening to this album. Yes. Dude, I have a Dropbox folder full of shit that I wrote during quarantine. There's a specific song that I will send you when we're done. Because I did it, and I literally sent it to my drummer, Jimmy, and I was like, it's just an Oasis song. It, oh, it really, please send it, it to it's me. Just I would an Oasis love to song. hear it. The, the <laughs> fucking chorus like Oasis always does, they'll do A minor, G, D, F. But the chorus, for some reason, will be in C. It's like... uh what, uh, what i'm thinking of the song right now it's and we need each other we believe Acquiesce. acquiesce yes yeah. they start in a but the chorus goes fc and it's like it lifts and i literally said it's the exact same chord progression as acquiesce and i was like i can openly admit i stole the fuck out of this like that's cool <laughs> yeah. it keeps the music alive and it makes but them-
1: also like if you could if you could play it for a non-music fan and they don't know that like you kind of did what you were aiming to do. You made a new song out of yes. something else. You know, yes. you made something original out of that. We could talk about it with The Verve. Talk about Britpop, like Bittersweet Symphony. Symphony. Yes. That is a song that they made completely their own. And for a long yes. time, it wasn't their own. They got the royalty stolen from them. Yep. But like, if you're going to tell me that they're ripping off the Rolling Stones with that song, you're out of your mind.
0: No. Fuck that shit. That is a sample from an orchestral arrangement <laughs> yeah. of a Rolling Stone. It's not even an original Rolling Stone song. It's an orchestral arrangement. And they took poor Richard Ashcroft by the fucking ball sack and said, give me your money. As if the Rolling Stones need more money.
1: But I know. I, I digress. Thank God it's his, it's his stuff Thank now. You. Go, Go stream that song now because he's not getting any of the streams from it back in the day. He's only it's- getting it from a now on.
0: It's one of the greatest songs ever. I could do a whole episode on fucking like Bittersweet. We could, do a,
1: we could do a classic album breakdown on that album.
0: On that album, absolutely. And just, just to say like how respected Richard Ashcroft is in the songwriting community, there's a video from Live 8, not Live 8, yeah. Live 8, where Chris Martin- Coldplay. Coldplay brings Richard Ashcroft, and he goes, he's one of the greatest songwriters of all time, Mr. Richard Ashcroft, and the crowd fucking loses their mind. The guy had one real hit, like one really, yeah. really big hit, but it's such a hit. We got all. Tr- at
1: this point, said that he was his only rival. Noel only had in his mind one songwriting rival Richard in the nineties, and he said it was Richard. Yeah, no mm-hmm. shit. And a song in this album that we'll get to is dedicated to him. Actually,
0: I don't know which one this is. is yeah, it Cast- we'll no? get to. Is it, it, it "Cast No Shadow"?
1: It is cast. No, ah,
0: there we The go. Verve
1: was apparently like going through some band strife at the time. And I think Richard had just left the band. Ah. And so on the liner notes and everything, it says it's dedicated to the genius Richard Ashcroft.
0: No shit. All right, we'll get there, but yeah, that's about as much as we could humanly say about a song that's so beloved is don't look back in anger. But yeah, we go to the fifth song on the album, which was something that I used to kind of skip past, which is weird. Oh, wow. Because I guess when I was younger, I was looking for the hits and I knew yeah. the names of these songs. But the song is Hey Now. And like, Hey Now to me, like, looking at it now, is one of my favorite fucking songs on the album. And I say it's because of Liam's vocal phrasing. It's so unique and it's so childish and so nursery rhymish that, like, this song to me is like one that Noel wrote, but Liam made his own. Like, to me, this song is fucking super special from that perspective.
1: Liam, like, attacks every note in this, the way he approaches the mic in it. This is one of the only songs in the album that they actually never played live. This was never played live by the band, which is crazy because it's such a great tune. I don't know if it was because it's maybe hard to sing on Liam. I don't know if it was straining his voice at that point, but I think it's crazy. This and uh, She's Electric, I think, are the two the only two from the album that they never played live.
0: She's electric has to be from an, uh, an arrangement standpoint. There's a lot of different instrumentation yeah. that's on. She's electric. that wouldn't fit. If you have, basically they're a bar band setup. It's two electric guitars, a bass drums, and like, they don't have the extra people there, but Hey, now's a rocker. Like it's a full yeah. band track. Like I know there are certain songs that bands won't play because they don't think they can recreate it the same way live. Like, even if it is the same instrumentation, the energy won't be there and it'll feel disappointing. I know I felt that at times and I've talked to other bands that do the same shit. Like, there's always bands you want to go and see them and you won't hear the songs that you want to hear. Like, I'm trying to think, like, I don't have any off the top of my head. I was going to try and pull something (laughs) out. I, I just froze up. Like, all right, so Gary Clark Jr. is one of my favorite musicians on earth. And when I go see him, I know. Uh, Please come home is a song I always want to hear that I do hear, but there's other songs that he won't do live because he tends to do his newer records. Like, I, like the uh, the good life is a song I love by Gary Clark Jr. that he doesn't do live because there is a sample in the beginning that you can't trigger live. Yeah, so, like it, it, it's you know the life is a song that I fucking love so much, but I'm never gonna hear it live. I'm just surprised it's hey now. Yeah.
1: It's weird. It's a straight rock and roll song, like you said. It it would have sounded great in the '90s, I think, especially with Liam's
0: voice back then. But yeah, nothing. I do find it weird that it's the second longest song on the album. Oh, is it? I I would next to
1: Champagne Supernova.
0: Champagne Supernova is like seven twenty four. This song is five minutes and forty one seconds. Maybe that's maybe that's that's what it is. (laughs) Maybe it is because I know for myself, like especially in today's day and age, in the streaming era where skip rate is a big thing. If your song's over three and a half minutes long, you might as well throw it in the trash from the A&R's perspective.
1: I do Dude, love I it. I hate fact. that, too, because I love long songs. Love like, long I'm, long a, I'm a big fan of long songs. Champagne Supernova, like I said, I think it's one of the best songs ever written. Someone tweeted me today about an Oasis song called uh, Roll It Over. Yes. Not, not Roll With It, but Roll It, roll over. it over. And that's yeah, another yeah. one that closes one of their albums, and it's like nine minutes. And it's I mean, just kind of like plod and goes on and on. But I dig it. All Around the World is another one on Be Here Now. I, I love think- it.
0: I think the song that really bonded me and you the first time we talked was a nine-minute song by Green Day.
1: Oh, yeah. Homecoming or Jesus Jesus of Suburbia? Suburbia. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you said you love Jesus of Suburbia, I was like, I love this guy. Because that's... One of my fucking favorite songs of all time. It's one of the yeah.
1: coolest things I saw at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too. They had the the lyric sheet from Billy Joe like originally writing it out. I was like, oh come on, that's the coolest shit ever.
0: That's another one where he he definitely was in his bag. Like I would say with Noel, where he has the genius moments where he's like, I'm the smartest man in the room. Billy Joe wrote the five parts of that song, and he's like, I am the most. <laughs> like, Bro, you know? they had
1: that, and they had Holiday written out on Holiday in Post it notes. No shit literally like he was at a hotel writing holiday yeah like wow crazy awesome stuff yeah if you're in cleveland go to the rock Roll hall of fame i've I'd never been. been before last week it was a experience just Hell to see yeah. the guitars and shit like of course man. seeing eddie van halen's old fifty-one fifties, like pretty awesome
0: i've been to the hard rock casino in vegas and there's a lot of really cool shit there and i would love to go and explore the bowels of the rock and roll Dude, family. you would be a kid in a candy shop i would be a uh, musician in a fucking musical museum so <laughs> i think i'd be pretty fucking happy but it, the fact that hey now is not a song they play live because to me like the guitar tones the way they come into the fucking songs there's a little bit of an intro and then they come into this fucking i keep saying liam's vocal delivery it, it's just I, I love a good nursery rhymish melody. Yeah. That's to me what this song is about. And that's once again, it feels childlike. It feels like it could have been like remember last week, I think you were on it. We were talking were you on the episode where we were talking about how Bruce Springsteen originally wrote the closing song to Harry Potter? No. Oh, you weren't on for that one? No. No, we were talking about there's actually there's actually a recorded JK Rowling's people like commissioned Bruce Springsteen to write <laughs> the end credits song to Harry Potter. Why wasn't it Noel Gallagher? Like it's so—it's <laughs> yeah. a nursery rhyme British Damn, thing. You're like right. gi- give me Noel Gallagher writing the end credits to fucking Harry Potter, but
1: he—he w- would have been able to do that. Especially, you listen to some of the high flying bird stuff when he yes. gets like weird with it. Like yes. he would—he would have
0: dug that. It just would have been bad when he called Hermione a cunt. Like you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Voldemort, that cunt. Like I don't know, but um, I do love this song, and it kind of leads me to like something we can skip through which there's two, as like, long yeah. as, as this album is, there's two interludes, basically, I'd say. And the first one is the untitled Swamp Song ex- excerpt one, which is, like, I guess, their idea of skits, but wasn't the Swamp Song like, a full thing that was a B-side? Or am I wrong on that?
1: It was later released. I think it was on the master plan as a yes, full B-side. They put was. both of them together. And this is the song that they would like basically open with, quote-unquote. Right. like The whole band would take the stage go into this, and then Liam would walk out by the end of the song and they'd go right into their opening track. So this mm. is, like, literally, I think it was a song they probably wrote for a live setting and then right. said, hey, we could probably throw snippets of it on the album to fill out some time if we want to, you know, make a separation between Hey Now and Some Might but Say. that's what pisses like that. me
0: off, though, because you could have took them out put <laughs> yeah. Talk Tonight and acquiesce on there, and we all would have been like, holy shit, now this is the greatest album ever. But I do, I appreciate skits. I appreciate little yeah. things. It reminds me of Wu-Tang, so I always appreciate that. But like, You know, I, think-
1: I, I was just talking about the Slim Shady LP with KSC yes, today. Yes. We just did, like, a little podcast talking about because he loves that so much. And I was yeah. like, let's pick, like, a couple songs that you could talk about from it. And we were talking about the skits. And I said, it reminds me of Wu-Tang. I love it. Like, it was the first thing I said. And he was like, yeah, like, why doesn't that happen anymore?
0: Now let's go into the first single that was released, a song that was, that was recorded basically prior to the rest of the album, some might say. And to me, like, when I hear this song... What always gets me is there is a slightly different guitar tone to the beginning, right? It's so, it actually feels more black crows than it feels. Yeah. Like, I could it, see that. Yeah. It's because once again, this is the pitch thing for me. It's the same opening chord as uh jealous again. It's D, but it's like that. Dun, 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 that's more definitely a little maybe. rootsy.
1: Yeah. Like it's,
0: a little it's more. Bluesy, definitely, yeah. It's more definitely maybe than it is. Uh, what's the story? Because if you think about it, the only other song they do that on the first record is Cigarettes and Alcohol. Cigarettes and Alcohol, yeah. T-Rex, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's the walk. It's the little blues, Stevie Ray Vaughan walk up the neck like that. So, looking at it, it's obvious that this was the one song that was recorded at a different point. But some might say to me, I mean, dude, just ignorantly great.
1: It's fucking, one of my favorite Oasis songs. It's up there for me.
0: It's another one, like, uh, I love Oasis' ability to introduce songs with catchy words up the top big a big songwriting tenant of mine is that like if it doesn't catch you in the first 10 seconds start with the fuck out because i want that i want to be able to like have somebody stop in their tracks some might say that sunshine follows thunder is a great fucking go and tell it to the man that cannot shine that's that's philosopher level songwriting. So
1: good. And you're getting Liam's best word in it too. And Liam could hit a good shine. shine yeah, oh, it's so yeah. good. It's so and and then you followed up with go and tell uh somebody say that they don't believe in heaven, go and tell it to the man who lives in hell. Yes.
0: Like, oh, it's such a good lyric. It's so good. That's another one too where like if you're writing the song, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good yeah. line. They're going to think I am so deep. Like, but, it, <laughs> it, it, but like this is another one though where we're talking about they always go into their choruses. They don't follow the same structure. It's the, like there's like two choruses here. It's really crazy. Like the some might say most people would take that as their course. That's technically the pre-chorus here. Cause the chorus is the, yeah. and I've been standing at this mission. They, it's crazy. Yeah. It's different chord structures and different keys. And it's, it, it's, it's like, I don't know. Like the roadmap to get back. It's not like a, a linear thing. It's like, we're here and then we take a left turn then we go in a circle then we go back star shape and then we're back at the fucking straight line it's nuts it's really incredible dude like, it's did you watch
1: Queen's Gambit when she has like the chess pieces on the yes. ceiling that's like yes. how Noel was like looking at this like oh yep yep that's what I'll do that's what I'll do and I, he I, said he knew this song would go number one before he wrote it he I said the he... next song I write is definitely a number one. And then he did it, and there's a number one. And he looks back, he goes, There's he goes, It's weird that there's some melancholy lyrics in there because I knew it was going number one. It should be a happy song.
0: <laughs> what a cocky fuck. I <laughs> yeah. love the death. But yeah, I, I don't know, like the, there's those weird after the verse things that the, the back to the D. It's yeah i just saying, like, it's... I picture him as Rain Man in the casino. I picture him as Zach Elfinekis yeah. in the casino. with like, yeah. The number's flying around his head. And it's like, you don't ever look at Noel Gallagher and be like, like, that might be, like, a fucking genius. Like, I don't know. I look at him, and I'm like, that limey fuck? Like, he's just going to sit at the <laughs> pub and drink and smoke? He's a fucking genius. Like, I don't like. Genius. But, I mean, it's 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 Liam's vocals, and it's, it's the guitar tones, and it's... I was going to say, and shout out to Bonehead on rhythm guitar. That yeah. right. side stage, and he would go over... We're getting real fucking nerdy now. They had
1: man. some cool John Paul Jones real shit there. You got to you got you got to go to Cleveland man. It was it was pretty sick.
0: John Paul Jones is the most disrespected musician in the history of music. Oh, yeah. Because he He got stuck
1: in a band with three, like, personalities that were bigger than him that also had, like, his talent, but their personalities were just Well, also,
0: who who is that if you're talking about the Beatles? It's it's fucking George Harrison. George. George just got caught up in the fact that he wasn't really an out-in-front guy. He's kind of a quiet guy in the background. Was he writing amazing songs? Sure. Is John Paul Jones contributing more than... Almost anybody else in the band of Led Zeppelin because he, ha- he wears so many hats. He'll play the mandolin. He'll play the fucking keys. He'll play the the whirly during no quarter. And nobody thinks about how fucking amazing his bass lines are on songs like the Lemon Song. Like, he's just a monster. And he's yeah. sitting right behind... Actually, it's really funny because the way yeah, you're I sitting, be he's me. being blocked. You're sitting there, and all I could <laughs> see for the entire podcast was the other three guys <laughs> and jump <Jeff> all <laughs> <laughs> We get the fucking plane.
1: But- Bro, stand closer to... Fucking Bonzo, come Seriously, on! Seriously,
0: give me a fucking shot. But no, Champagne Supernova to me, it's it's an all time rock anthem. I also find it funny. I thought this song would be covered by more people. I don't hear this song covered that often. That's
1: a good point. You know, I've heard cover it, which is you're going to be like, what? Darius Rucker. For Darius Rucker cover this. He's a huge Oasis fan, like colossal sense. Oasis fan. And he went to, I think, Manchester, did it there, which you got to have balls to be like, I'm pulling this out here. But yeah. he kind of pulled it off. Like, there's a video of it on YouTube, and it's like, oh, shit. All
0: right. It's different, but it works. I adore Darius Rucker. Oh, he's the best. I'm mad at him, though. Why? Because he can't come on the podcast yet. What? Re- he just he's he, he was on tour or he was on tour the first time I reached out and his people were like reach back out at a later date and I was Oh like, come Darius, on Darius. Darius come on this show Darius. Darius We all love you here we you'll all f- love you here you'll play golf with the four with the four play guys <laughs> but I want to talk about <laughs> music and you're too busy hootie I know we're motherfucker No I'm kidding Darius I love you to death please come on I, I, I've I, seen
1: I, I've seen him twice as just Darius Rucker and once yeah. as Hootie. What a show that guy puts on. Dude, what a
0: frontman! He like he is, knows
1: how to put on a show.
0: He really is a like a full blown like masterful. He's a fucking rock star. Hootie's a fu- yeah. I don't want to say Hootie. Darius is a fucking rock star. He all, I love his country shit. A buddy of mine, so age- do I. I?
1: I got into his country shit before I got into most Hootie because yeah. like my mom loved Hootie and then got really into his country stuff. So yeah. growing up, like it was Darius Rucker in the house always.
0: Uh, a good songwriter buddy of mine from Nashville named AJ Babcock uh, wrote two songs off his last album. Uh, oh so wow! J- j- in the country world, people still are getting their songs written for them because that's what they do down there. And uh, yeah. yeah, he got two cuts with with Darius, and he said Darius is one of the nicest people he's ever met. So, oh, I'm
1: glad to hear that. Come I've, on the pod, Darius. Come I've on. never heard This'll a bad a thing time. about Darius. You'll have a fun time. Here's
0: the thing, though. I imagine, like, because I mean, we we can't really say that much about Champagne Supernova. I would be so curious. To have a conversation with Noel or Liam. Like I want, I, I don't, how do you even approach that? Like, I don't even, like, I feel like I'd be talking to God, like demigods. Like, I don't know. Like, you <laughs> know what I mean? Like, and
1: I think I, about that sometimes. Cause obviously people say like, are they white whale interviews for you? And I'm like, yes, but like, I don't know how those interviews would go. And if they went poorly, I would still be happy about it. Like if yeah. Noel or Liam slagged me off and were like, said something funny about me in a negative way it would be the highlight of my life. 100%.
0: I, I, mean, <laughs> to me, like, I would be very intrigued to have Liam on. Like, like yeah. Noel, I've seen a lot of his interviews, and he's not a big interview guy. Like, I think he likes to hear himself talk, but I don't think he likes the press. I think he's Liam's... He's selective.
1: He, yes. He's selective with who he does it with. If it's like, he's got like a friend out in the UK named Matt Morgan. He's like mm. a, used to do TV writing, and, and he does like radio now. He'll interview with Matt Morgan all day long. Other people, he's very selective of, especially in America. Obviously, because America never really like took to them. He's like, "Why am I doing American media if they're not even gonna care?"
0: Bunch of fucking coons. That's what <laughs> I. There's
1: a great, uh, there's a great Liam quote from the '90s about like, "Why didn't the Americans ever take to you?" And he's like, "They want fucking grunge people stabbing themselves in the head with foreheads. They get a bright bunch like we're, like us wearing deodorant. They don't know what to do with us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they do. They are the original Conor McGregor's. Like they really are. Like they yeah. like just shit talking." Hard drinking, hard living, just legends. And we got just an absolutely classic album out of it, Robbie. By the way,
1: before we leave Champagne Supernova, did you know that the lead guitar solo is not played by Noel Gallagher? Who was it played for? Paul Weller. They brought Paul Weller into the studio to play that because much like While My Guitar Gently Weeps, paul uh noel was like listen this is like a masterpiece that i wrote but i want to bring in my buddy to do a guitar solo because he'll do it better than me it's not
0: clapton but i mean i get what you're saying not clapton who is paul weller
1: oh he's a guitar idol of noel he comes from uh, the jam i believe oh no shit yeah
0: and so he played that solo
1: am i right about that yeah he's from the jam and he played that solo yeah
0: Wow, I did so not you know So you could that. look,
1: there, there's a lot of collaborations between them in the future. When Noel would do like acoustic shows where it would just be, even in the Oasis days where he just do acoustic shows by himself. Liam wouldn't show up. Yeah, Paul <laughs> would show up and kind of play the lead tracks on electric and stuff. Uh, okay. And they've been pretty tightly linked for a long time.
0: I did not know that about Champagne Supernova. Yeah. God, what a great song to get and then in love with.
1: The Nebworth version, a very famous version, they bring up John Squire from the Stone Roses. Oh, no shit. L- I, Liam gives him a great intro. Liam goes up to the mic and he goes, Here's Johnny. Right it. as the song kicks in. Yeah. Dude, I, I'm I, hoping start, he brings him up for uh, Nebworth 2.0. He's still out there. Like, why not, dude? Bring I mean, him up. Bring him up. Johnny Marr. Like, definitely bring up an iconic guitarist to do the if, solo on. If
0: this. you and Dante are really in, I'm fucking <laughs> dead.
1: Dude, Bro, I mean, well, I'll be there for sure, a thousand percent.
0: So, here's the thing so, we are going to have a segment at the end of this where because Dante very desperately wanted to be here and we had scheduling conflicts. But I told Dante that I would bring him on after the conversation to at least give his thoughts on this record because Dante loves Oasis and Robbie oh, brought yeah. that up that Dante fucking loves Oasis and Dante actually got to like live in it, he got to like live that era of time. I don't think me I'm or so Robbie, jealous of him. I am too. What the fuck? Right? <laughs> and so I'm so curious to see what, what Dante has to say, but to me, like I wouldn't have done this with anybody else. Robbie, I needed you to be a part of this. I think this went fucking phenomenally.
1: Same. Is I this- had a blast. Now, listen, anytime you want to talk about Oasis or like star Wars or Marvel, like there's like three things in my life where I'm like, Oh my God. Yes. I am a wealth of knowledge on this. It's the only thing I am confidently knowledgeable about. <laughs> Yes, Oasis is literally my niche category in the dozen. I Nobody know, has I selected know. it yet because they're like, we're not testing that, but I don't think I would get like a trivia question wrong on the dozen.
0: Dude, I, I just want to say this because I have become a mystery member of the dozen. I done yep. three, I've done three episodes, and it's now starting to catch on to where Jeff D. Lowe goes, who the fuck is this guy? And I was fucking <laughs> dying the last time because... Dave calls me for dumb questions, like dumb yeah, questions. Like the Killers
1: right? was one, right? It was like a uh, like a very popular Killers album. He called you about or something. Or maybe me, Muse.
0: Part of me believes that Dave is just trying to get me a part of more content. Like, guy, there's no way you he's don't He's a mastermind. Know what, how, yeah, yeah a mastermind. I like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Dave,
1: I like. I like. I, I believe that. I'm Dave, with you.
0: <laughs> Dave, Dave is the Kaiser Soze of the dozen of the barstool universe. Yeah. he's been walking around with Olympus this entire time. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, when I'm in the door, he's going to be just start walking normally. One, one day, we're going to see him chewing gum normally, and we're going to yes. be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you just see him and John Cusack walking down the street hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah, hand we're in like, hand. It was yeah. all a game. It was all a long con. Holy they're, shit, they're, they're, they're
1: walking down Wrigleyville, and Dave's wearing a Cubs hat.
0: <laughs> and we all got fucking played. But yeah, uh, my niche category is helping Dave. And uh, I, I just. Pretty successfully, thus far. Three for three, dog. Yeah. Three for three. I'm in the building. I keep... Because Dave always texts me and will say, don't answer Dante if he calls you. Don't <laughs> answer Dante if he calls you. I'm, like, I'm not going to turn the guy down. Like, what the fuck? Like, and not, Dante does not need my help either, by the no, way. No, Dante. yeah. Dante's,
1: Dante's well-equipped
0: in that realm. Well-equipped. But that's our classic album review for What's a Story Morning Glory. Robbie Fox, thank you as always. Uh, we got to pick another album to do shortly, but this was a yeah. fucking blast, brother. Um, let's go into uh, Dante's thoughts about the album... We'll see you guys next week. How you feeling? You feel all right? All right. So we went through our whole conversation with Robbie. We broke down the history. We went through everybody who played on the record, where it was done. We went through song by song. But one thing I did mention on the podcast was I would not put this episode out without the input of my co-host, Dante. Dante, I know you love this fucking record. I know you love this band. Describe to me how you kind of found this record.
2: Uh, so they were kind of the first band that I personally fell in love with. Ooh. Um, yeah, I was young, I was in middle school, you know, I grew, you know, grow up listening to what your parents listened to yeah. pretty much as a young kid. And you don't really have the means to access, especially back then there was no streaming. Nope. There was no Spotify. There was no YouTube. You couldn't discover music. You listen to what your parents listened to in the car or played at home on the record player or the radio or whatever. So for me, it was all Sinatra and Dean Martin. My mom was big into Billy Joel and Barbara Streisand and uh, it, sounds
0: like, it sounds like our mom. This is yeah. exactly what I, grew up. I think was there.
2: I think it was every, every mom from the East coast. Absolutely. In the, 90s but uh yeah so i got to the age where i got some scratch and had a summer job and all my money went into cds and baseball cards and my best friend at the time growing up his dad was like a nuclear physicist or some shit, and he got relocated to manchester england and yeah, this is like mid 90s and I went to visit him for like a month during summer vacation and yeah, it was like the coolest like coolest fucking trip ever. And uh obviously got introduced to Oasis, Blur. Blur was huge back then too over there, not so much over here but they were, them and Oasis had a monster rivalry in Britain. You were either an Oasis fan or you were a Blur fan and you hated the other side. The um, old
0: battle of Britpop.
2: Yeah, it was kind of kind of crazy because you think back and Blur had like two songs. They they literally
0: had like song number two and then Robbie was talking about Country House. So that was the other song that was like bigger.
2: Derek. That Girls Who Love Boys song was was fucking big. I know
0: that song, yeah, yeah, Yeah,
2: yeah. That was, they, they had a few others. But uh, yeah, so anyways, I'm over there and I just fucking got swept up in it, fell in love with them, and I bought all these bootleg cassettes that I could. And <laughs> uh, I still remember I came back with this tape and it had the British flag on it. I think they used it for
0: uh what the fuck was it? Was that their greatest hits that they wound up doing that? No, it was this is way this is
2: like right before Morning Glory came out. They had a oh, okay. they had a bootleg tape with the British flag on it. I think they ended up using it for cover art for Master Plan when they That's released was. like the single. Yep. But uh I had this tape and it had all these songs like Master Plan was on there, Acquiesce was on there, all these just bangers that they never put on either of the albums. Looking B-sides, unbelievable. Yeah, man. I came back and played them for my friends, and you know, I was like the man. That kind of that was kind of like my my thing too. That's part of the reason I fell in love with DJing, is if you could introduce Songs people had never heard and that were really like, you know, holy, fuck, what the hell is this? That was like such a cool feeling. So, anyways, this album dropped and you didn't think it could get any better than Definitely Maybe. That yep. album was so fucking good, unbelievable. This album dropped and it was just, uh, I mean, it was, it was just hit after hit after hit after hit, and you never wanted it to end. And you know, when it did wrap up, you went right back to. Track number one, hello, and I mean, I wore this thing out like crazy, crazy.
0: The fact that you got it like from the source too, like we got American Oasis. You went to the fucking tap and got it in Manchester. Like that's an incredible story to pull that record out like that. And I think like looking at it because we we covered all these songs already, but like what songs to you like really stand out on the record? Because I, I like, wonderwall, of course, is like the hit, even though it wasn't the number one hit, but. What songs to you really stand out?
2: I mean, "Don't Look Back in Anger" is such a all time. Just the fact that you know you have all these songs that Noel wrote and Liam performed, and then Noel was like, "I'm going to handle this one," and did it himself, and just switched it up. And it's one of the best songs of, you know, their entire catalog, that's really cool to me. And it's just such a, you know, dramatic, you know, Sing along. I mean, it just, it hits, it checks all the boxes. It's just such a fucking great song.
0: It doesn't matter what language that song is sung in. Like, people know the emotion yeah. behind it. It's 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 an unbelievable fucking song. Yeah. And Robbie earlier in the podcast was telling me, in the studio, Liam and Noel were having arguments about who was going to sing Wonderwall and who was going to sing Don't Look Back in Anger. Like, could you imagine if those got switched? Uh,
2: they, like, flipped a coin. I mean, I, I I've seen them both solo so many times that i've heard them both perform you know the other one so yeah. i i've and it, they're they're still amazing yeah. but uh yeah i mean i it, it's just one of those things but the i'm just a suck and also i'm a sucker for songs with strong piano yes chords and just how that song starts out with the you know the stabs is Like, just gives me chills every time.
0: So, ignorantly British. It's the most British fucking song of all time. It really is, dude. Yep. And, and I mean, like, here's a question for you, too, before we get into other songs. If you had to pick one of the two brothers, who do you go with? Oh. I know.
2: I think Liam, honestly. I just, and if you asked me 15 years ago, I would have said Noel.
0: That's my exact answer.
2: Yeah, because, you know, Noel is kind of the more normal one out of the two liam was just a lunatic but now the fact noel is this stubborn and won't give in and reunite and make everybody and literally everybody in the world happy he's just he's a he's a cocksucker
0: take the money take the fucking money dude you don't even have to talk to your brother who gives a shit stand on the other side of the stage take the millions
2: it's pride it's fucking pride have you have you seen him live
0: no, and I've been dying to because I actually love the high-flying birds. I do love the high-flying birds. Although, I'd rather see Liam live, to be completely honest.
2: They're both, they're both awesome. Um, Liam still does the... Uh, Liam's got, like, I'm pretty sure, like, Bonehead plays with Liam. Yep. And he's got a few of the original guys. But he still does the, you know, arms behind the back. And yep. he wears the big trench coat zipped up to his chin um noel's just he's just a fucking weirdo man he's got this girl who comes out on stage and plays scissors <laughs> you've ever seen this no. Yeah, look it up on youtube i will you look it up on youtube here yes they're not scissors they're shears they're like giant shears <laughs> and she plays them into a microphone i thought it was a joke the first time i saw it but it, it she that's her that's her thing. What's like, have you ever seen Fish? Have you ever seen Fish Live? No, I've seen, I've seen them on video and uh, documentaries and Claire stuff like Drummer
0: Fishman, they do Purple Rain sometimes. They cover Purple Rain and they bring a vacuum cleaner on stage. <laughs> and he takes the suction end and puts it over his mouth and they call it a vacuum solo. Like, <laughs> People have too much money and too much success for doing weird shit. It's like a bootleg vocoder or something. Dude, yeah, it's exactly what it is, but I don't know, man. Like, to me, like, I look at this record, and of course, the hits are the hits. Is there, like, a deeper cut on the album? Because, like, we talked about the B-sides. Acquiesce, to me, may be my favorite song on the album that didn't actually make the album. Like, I fucking love that song. But, like, Hey Now, to me, is, like, a song that when I was younger, I would skip, and then, because it wasn't a hit, and then now
2: it's isn't it weird so i i actually listened to this about a month or two ago front to back i was on a long drive and sick of all the newer shit and i was like i'm gonna <laughs> fucking listen to morning glory i ran it back and it's like same type thing like the songs that it's i never skipped songs as a kid but there were definitely you know the songs that you were like all right I can't wait till this one's over to get to the next one. But now, like, Cigarettes and Alcohol, I fucking love. Such oh, a good song. Goodness. Rock and Roll Star, such a good, good song. song. Some might say probably is that song for me that really stands out now. It, you know, it was good then, but it's great now. Yes. Such a great song. Um, See, you, another little, like, fun fact is if you get the vinyl... Version of this, and I don't know why this is. I think it might be because CDs back then. Uh, remember, the, remember, CDs were like fifty-six minutes or something.
0: No, back there was at, like an the exact- first version, and then no, there was seventy-two. No,
2: I didn't know that. I I know because I used to burn them all the time. I used right, to yeah, make, yeah, like mix CDs all the time. The when they first came out, the first version I think were fifty-six minutes, and then the second there was like a second wave of them, and everything was 72 after that but the this record the cd pressing was i think 52 minutes long and the vinyl actually has a bonus track what is it on it it's called boneheads bank holiday oh
0: i love that fucking song dude yeah
2: it's really like out there um and it's it's kind of crazy because they like you know they fucking booted him yeah Afterwards, yeah. and the fact they gave him his own song on the the vinyl pressing is really, 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 really strange, but also at the same time like very typical Oasis.
0: I we I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine about that song specifically, and apparently that was one they had taken a break from recording during the day, went out and got fucking wasted at a pub after that, and came back and recorded that song which I'm glad it didn't make the actual cut of the album. Because <laughs> My only gripe with the album realistically is the fact that they put the two skits on there, not the skits, but the chopped up parts of uh, what is it? Swamp song, which didn't need to be on there. When you have Talk tonight and Acquiesce, it didn't make the album and you could have booted two of those and put those right. two songs on the record. And it would have, it would have been perfect. Right. But we, a- you know what though? We talked about this
2: with, uh, you're right though. Acquiesce is like, that's one of their fucking best songs ever. And the the fact that I had that on the tape, I mean, I used to that and Master Plan, I used to run all the time. And you'd have to like rewind it and then play it and then rewind it. But uh this this fucking this album, you gotta remember we talked about this on the podcast the other day, and Kenny brought up, you know, the part about member Skits. Yeah. And it was skits weren't just, you know, fillers. They were kind of like segues between one song to the next, almost like intros. So you have that, you know, radio feedback shit before Morning Glory and like the helicopter blades come in. And that's just like, nowadays, if you did that, people would be like, what the the fuck is this? They would skip it. They would skip it. But back then it was... It had a meaning and a purpose, which you know, it was just different times. But that that song today is still, I mean, that gets me so fucking fired up. I, I could used to, run I through I used a to a ball, that at,
0: bro.
2: I used to play that at Wrigley, uh, <laughs> like once a once a, a series, I'd play it, and people would still so funny. Like a lot of like the younger ball players, like, what was that song you played? Like like right at the beginning of batting practice earlier i'm like oh man like, get out of my oasis. face <laughs> that's oasis
0: man dude it, it, it really is like such a, a testament to the album that it still sounds this good at 25 years and it's still like we talked about it like during the robbie part where we were going through and we were like the album was mastered for cds it's very compressed and it's very loud but it's very straight in your fucking face but like even going back and listening to something like morning glory like i wouldn't want it any other way that song is meant to be at fucking top speed, like just fucking whipping it down a highway. For sure. That song to me is the song that I fell in love with first off this album. Like I, I I absolutely adore that song and I think it's because of Liam's vocal. I think it's one of the best vocal performances he's ever done, but that leads me to one of my final points. And it's out of the two brothers. Who's your MVP on this record? Oh, Liam for sure. And and dude, once again, this is a question If you would have asked me like five years ago. I think when I was in my uh, just got out of college, like I'm the greatest songwriter of all time. I went to Nashville for the first time. And I thought it was a fucking genius. And I was like, Noel Gallagher is the heartbeat of that band. Like he's the songwriter and the producer. But then you go back and listen to it after you have some life experience and you're like, Liam's the, Liam is the spirit of the band. Like he because, really, because here's the thing, like in you
2: as a songwriter, know this, like the songs don't really mean Anything nothing None it's the music, so like as a kid, I was always looking for these like deeper meanings like what the like what are what are they talking about like you know the lyrics are just all over the place, and I didn't know if it was like a uh a, a foreign gap, like if yeah, I just yeah, didn't yeah. get like the British lingo or whatever, but nowadays you listen to them and you're like, what the fuck are they talking about I, in, half, in half these in half these like Verses, but it's just it's about the music it's about like you said the sound and the fact that i mean, it, it just it really like doesn't get that doesn't get talked enough about But they don't i don't think they get enough credit for following up i mean definitely maybe it's it's this isn't an opinion this is a fact it's the biggest debut album in british yes. music history like bigger than the beatles Bigger than One Direction. I mean, to this day, it is the number one biggest debut album by anybody ever from Great Britain. And, I mean, it was for a good reason. That album was fucking incredible. Rock and Roll
0: Stars, Supersonic, Slide Away. Like, there's so many bangers on that album.
2: So, like, to make a statement like that and set the bar that high and then exceed it with this one where everybody was like, holy fuck, like these guys are just getting started. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's, unbelievable.
0: And it's like, like, I think the main point that like we were going through and we were talking about the two albums, the differences definitely maybe is just pure punk energy. It's just rock and roll in your face. We're going to break a bottle over your head. <laughs> it, it, it's more of the, like the basis of who they are. It's that, but like they wanted to make shit for stadiums. They wanted to make shit to take them from being the, the biggest band in England to the biggest band in the world. And that's what this record was. That's what, what's the story morning glory was about. It was about Liam Gallagher standing out in front of a crowd with his hands behind his back, calling them all the C word and uh, everybody on earth standing up together. And like going back through it, like the only other songs that I don't think we touched on really were like the bigger hits, like the champagne supernovas and the wonder walls and like, those are universal songs at this point. Like, you can't listen to the radio without either of those coming on. But it's the deep tracks for me on this record that, like, I really cherish.
2: Agreed. I mean, yeah, Walls is one of the biggest songs of all time. I mean, fucking, it's, like, one of the first songs to crack a billion on Spotify, which is insane.
0: And the dumbest uh, lyrics ever. Yeah, exactly. Now, there's... I, I love that you pointed that out to the yeah. words don't mean anything. I no. looked at Lee. I looked at Noel Gallagher for so long as like this, like songwriting <laughs> God, but like right. Ro- Robbie dropped this piece of knowledge that I didn't know. I know they recorded this in two weeks and they did basically a song a day. I didn't know that they didn't have any of these songs written before they went into the studio.
2: Dude, they had, they, this album dropped eight months after Definitely Maybe.
0: That's, that's fucking insane.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's- Definitely Maybe was still, like, charting, like, high when this album came out. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you, you have, I take it you haven't seen the Supersonic documentary. You I have, have seen
0: the Supersonic documentary. Yeah, so
2: remember they, they go to that farm out in the middle of fucking nowhere, and they almost kill each other. Yep. And, you know, Noel just goes out on his own and comes back with four or five songs and he's like, fuck you, we're doing these. (laughs) Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's in in part he is brilliant. He is genius. But, you know, if if he if it was anybody but Liam, I don't think we're having this discussion right now
0: nope and i i was just going back I, like just in preparation yesterday watching their wembley stadium performance from 2000 which by the way was only 5 years after this came out but it's so weird like we don't talk about this enough like they were at the top of the world and it was such a quick moment in time they never really released anything that touched any of this afterwards not even close it's because of the clashing of the egos it really is that but it seems like today like Liam seems like he's ready for a reconciliation or at least monetarily like standing. Oh no, he's,
2: he's, he's been calling for it for years now. I mean, after the, the terrorist attack thing, I mean, I thought it was a a sure thing when they did, when they did that charity event and, you know, Noel, I guess last minute was like, fuck this. I'm not doing it. I mean, that's, that's the nail in the coffin for me that he's just, he's just a fucking asshole.
0: I mean, it's Dante. Do you have a brother? I do. There's there's, no, there's nothing that my brother could do to me that would keep me from making a hundred million dollars. There's nothing. <laughs> my brother could murder my whole family, but if somebody offered me a check for 100000000 hundred mil, I'd be like, "Yo, it's it's all good, man. Don't worry about it. Like, it's, what's a couple bodies for a hundred million? You know, know what I mean? Like,
2: I know.
0: Like, what happened? What happened? It's it's the the British ability to harness hate. It's unbelievable." I can't fucking believe it, man. But I don't know. Like, I'm glad that we got got to do this. I'm glad that we finally got to have this conversation about this record. And your love for this album and Robbie's love for this album brought it back to me. And I hadn't listened to this record in so long like this. Like, the vocal takes are just startling. Like, there's nothing that special instrumentally about this band. But it is Liam. Liam's voice is what drives this shit. Cuz anybody else singing this, I wouldn't think the same way. Like even when Noel fronts these songs, it's not the same thing.
2: It is the sound though. The sound is very like loud and it's funny that no one else has not replicated it, but and I mean they they have admitted the fact that that's what they were going for. They wanted everything to sound elevated compared to everything else they got you know, it. it was played in bars and and on the radio and you know on your disc man but if you play it if you play the vinyl version mm. I mean it pops like crazy so it has that like nostalgic sound to it and that's because you know the fucking waveforms they just maxed them out they went for loud over clean mm. on it Oh, it's, 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 it's rock and roll man it's
0: fucking it, rock and roll you know it's crazy that you weren't part of the first conversation because we went on for like 10 minutes about how they mastered this record and they went for what they called the brick wall sound which was literally shove everything in the front and blow it the fuck out and it's it's Oasis is two Gibson guitars right up in front with Marshall amps and it's it, that is true. See, you're talking me around in circles here because now I'm like, no is the MVP. No is the most important one. Here. Well, I
2: mean, so they they re-released it in 2015. Yeah. They remastered it and it's honestly not as good. It's one of the few fucking remasters that I'm like, give me the gimme the original.
0: I don't or, care. I don't care. Like it's like it's like when they change things in like Star Wars or like Jurassic Park where they update the graphics. It's like, give me what it was made to look like. Give me what Morning Glory was supposed to sound like. The CD mastering, the, 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 the compression out the ass. Like, just give me what it was meant to sound like.
2: Although, like- you, you know what I would kill for fucking remasters of, but we'll, we'll never get just because they were just recorded on like the fucking worst reel-to-reels ever. It was all the Motown stuff.
0: Oh yeah, and that's dude. Imagine if you got high def Motown,
2: dude, dude. It like it would it would change the change the world. I mean, it's the best music ever, and it's it's just tragic that it's has this mono, fucking analog, terrible it's sound. And all we can, out of
0: one speaker, bro. It yeah, really is.
2: and we can it's, never and we can never remaster it because that's how it was recorded. Like that's all they have it
0: on. We, you're a big Motown guy.
2: Yeah, it's like my favorite.
0: Okay, then we're gonna have to have a Motown podcast because I am that's my shit. Like that is all right, we're going right up the right alley. I think we just set ourselves up for our next class. Like Let's do it. Dude, who in Motown would we do? Oh.
2: I mean, we I mean we should do a deep dive on Barry Gordy and all the I mean
0: Oh my god. Smokey I mean, Robinson, Stevie dude, Wonder, dude, the Supremes.
2: Mean, dude, he discovered, I mean, some of the biggest like stars on the planet. There, Some of the, the best musicians of all time.
0: The greatest gift that America has ever given the world is black American music. It really is without a doubt. We like, we are so fucking lucky that that exists. Like Motown is the basis of all American pop music afterwards. It's like, it's.
2: Oh. And you should see, like I, I am up in Detroit all the time. And, um, you should see like the Hitsville house. They still have the I would standing love to see that. Dude, it's like fucking, not a shack, but I mean, the fact that they were pumping out all these songs out of this place at a makeshift studio, it's like, it's fucking crazy.
0: Bro, that's like in Atlanta, the, the fucking dungeon house, the dungeon family. Yeah. It's literally a dirt floor basement. And you got like Outkast and Killer Mike out of there. Like you got like the greatest Southern rappers rappers of all time out of a dirt floor basement.
2: That yeah, like, is really fucking amazing.
0: Oh my God. But all right. So that's our wrap up for our conversation about what's a story morning glory. Our next classic album breakdown will actually just be a deep dive into Motown. I think that's a great idea. I love it. Love it, dude. Thank you, Dante. Thank you, Robbie Fox. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you, brother.